The Longhorn Confidential Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. Hello, Texas fans. This is the Longhorn Confidential for Thursday, October 17th. We're two days away from UT and Kansas' primetime game. Mike, are you ready for primetime Prime. UT and Kansas? Under the lights. Wow. We're also exactly 32 years removed from Eric Metcalf's 11-catch game against Arkansas. That was a school record. Uh, that mark, though, has been master exceeded 13 times since, including this season by Devin DuVernay, who had 12 catches a few weeks ago. Anyway, I'm Danny Davis, the Austin American Statesman. As always, I'm joined by Mike Craven. Mike, say hello. Hello. It'd be amazing to see some of the, like, Eric Metcalf, Roy Williams play in these style of offense that mm-hmm. were, like, wide receiver-based. Their numbers would be ridiculous. They would be, they'd be quite talented. I think they'd find some playing time. All right, Mike, let's just uh, start with the Hudson Card news. Um, Hudson Card, a talented quarterback from Lake Travis up the road, 2020 UT commit, going to enroll early here with the Longhorns. But unfortunately for uh, Longhorn fans, like Travis fans, he's going to miss the rest of the season. Our Jay Plotkin reported on Tuesday that Card has to have foot surgery, injured himself in the Westlake game this past weekend. And uh, what was kind of your initial thoughts once you heard that news? I'm just I'm bummed for him. You know, anytime uh, a senior specifically gets injured, you know, the first thing you think of is just man, that stinks. You know, you put in all of this work, it finally becomes your team. Uh, it's your last time to play. You know, with your friends that you grew up with, it's just so much different than college football. High school football is just a special thing, and so one, you're just disappointed for Hudson that he doesn't get to finish his, his senior year the way he wants to. And then if you fast forward, you start thinking about okay, he enrolls in January kind of when will this rehab be over and will he get to be a part of spring practice I think is the bigger long-term thing but just you know for him as a person you just you know it just sucks to miss uh, your senior season kind of like Sam Ellinger did you know it just mm-hmm. happens football is a, a brutal sport and you you kind of mentioned the you looking forward you know how much of an injury like this not only to Hudson or to any kid um, kind of put a kid behind his development when he plans on being here in the spring granted Hudson is not expected to play next year, so that right. helps out a little bit. But how much does this kind of put him behind the ball? It hurts because, you know, one of the things that Hudson needs to do, and he's admitted this, is, is gain some weight. He needs to put on some weight. And so if you're going through, you know, foot surgery and the rehab um, that goes with that, it's hard to, you know, work out and do the same exact stuff that you would normally be doing. Uh, he'll be able to sit in on meetings. He'll be able to do the mental stuff. They already run a similar offense at Lake Travis and, He's at Texas a lot, so I don't know if he'll be behind with the playbook, but nothing, you know, replicate or nothing, nothing is similar to getting actual reps, you know, against college athletes. It's a faster, different game. And so while he's not supposed to be playing next year, and so that's not a big concern, it's just one offseason where he may not get to participate as fully as he'd like to. And that does put him behind in terms of like competing for K- with Casey Thompson for a backup job, for example. Now, if you're Tom Herman and you know this news, do you think about recruiting another quarterback and signing another quarterback in this 2020 class just in case? I, I don't think so because quarterback is so unique. You know, only one really plays, and, and you're figuring to have Sam Ellinger back. You know, if this was a linebacker they were expecting to play right away, then, you know, yeah, then you start thinking about, okay, we may need another body at this position. But since it's this early and he should be fine by at least the summer, I'd imagine, with the full recovery, uh, and he's supposed to redshirt and sit behind Casey Thompson and Sam Ellinger, I, and they have another quarterback in Jaquindon Jackson from Duncanville committed, I'd imagine Texas stands pat here, uh, even with this injury. 
Now, to be clear, I don't think this is going to happen in Hudson's case, and I, I doubt you think so too. But you know, how do schools generally look at season-ending injuries? Does that cause you know schools to get a little gun shy? Do schools pull back offers in some cases if the injury is serious enough? I mean, how do these you know because they would really think of a kid got hurt playing football and then all of a sudden he doesn't have a scholarship right. a place to go next year? So how do schools kind of handle these injuries? A lot of times it depends on the severity of of the injury. If it's you know just Injuries happen in football. So if it's just, you know, your normal, you know, knee injury, ankle injury, foot injury like this or something, you know, they're going to look at it and see if it's, you know, a career altering thing. Texas is never going to pull back on scholarships. You know, a school like Texas just has a platform where they can't allow, they can't really be allowed to do that because it'll hurt them on the recruiting trail as soon as that happens. So they'd at least offer an academic scholarship or figure out kind of a way to make that work without it counting towards uh, the scholarship numbers. So, I think coaches now are really sensitive for that kind of stuff in the social media age because you don't want to be that program. Now, maybe at smaller programs, you kind of have to make those decisions because you need the players more. But at schools like Texas, it's just you would be losing more by by getting rid of that kid than you would gain by just getting an extra scholarship. Yeah, so you know this will be something to monitor. Um, luckily for Lake Travis, they have seemingly have about twenty six D one quarterbacks uh, in the pipeline. So Nate Yarnell, baby, they'll uh, they'll be fine, and you know hopefully we'll get to see Hudson Hudson Card out there sooner rather than later. Uh, let's go around the forty acres, talk about some of the things you've written about this week in your dotted line column on Hook'em dot com. Um, you know, first off, on Monday you wrote about the OU Texas loss and kind of how Texas recruits reacted to a loss. It was a home game for Texas, so they got to have all their recruits. Uh, on, on at the stadium, and you know, kind of those kids got their first Red River experience. How did the ones you talked to? How did they react to the the loss? I think an important thing fans need to remember is that these are football players that understand you lose sometimes in football, and so they don't have as visceral as a reaction as the fans do in terms of like, oh, the world sky is falling, Texas law. You know, for them, it's more about the experience. It's uh-huh. being in a stadium that's half orange and half red and the corn dogs and the fair. And you know, it's a free ticket to that kind of game. And it's a preview of the type of atmosphere you're going to be in. And let's also remember guys at this level have a whole lot of confidence so they don't look at it as like oh we're going to lose to OU because Texas just lost OU they look at it as when we get to OU we're going to beat OU and so they don't really take maybe if it was a 50 point game or a big blowout but just like the LSU game the players kind of came away impressed with the atmosphere impressed with the team and uh, just kind of like the way you know the direction in which Texas is going under Tom Herman and if you're you know someone who plays offensive line or someone who plays in the secondary and you saw that game, I mean, perhaps you see a chance to you know, get some playing time early because Texas had some notable struggles in, in those areas. Um, you know, speaking of the OU-Texas game in your Monday column, you kind of dropped a little nugget in there, uh, kind of hidden, hidden in there. You talked a little bit about a rumor um, that you know, there's some traction that you know, Joshua Eaton, a cornerback recruit, may end up flipping to the Sooners. You know, how, how much is that a possibility? Is, could Texas lose again to Oklahoma? Yeah, it's a it's a real possibility, and this was starting before the Texas OU game, and OU was was really high on Joshua Eaton before he committed to Texas. And this is another part of recruiting. Recruiting doesn't stop when a kid commits. If anything, it gets more intense. You know, other schools keep in contact. You have to like keep those guys committed as much as you have to get them to commit. And so this is just part of you know what happens. I believe. Uh, Texas will probably take a guy or two that's committed to another team before signing day. Texas may lose a guy or two um, before signing day. And 
Uh, Joshua Eden is definitely heavily rumored to flip to Oklahoma. A lot of guys, you know, that cover Oklahoma feel that way. I know one of uh, Crystal Ball picks was was put on him uh, to flip to Oklahoma. So yeah, if you're if you're looking for I guess bad news, uh, watching the development of Joshua Eaton is is probably one because uh, Texas needs that cornerback position and they'll have to kind of figure out something if he he ends up flipping. All right, let's flip from offense to defense on Wednesday. You wrote about Quentin Johnston, who you got to see this past week in Temple wide receiver. What were kind of your impressions of what you saw, and where does he kind of project when he uh, to when he gets to Texas? He just, you know, Texas really loves those big, long, just tall, athletic receivers, and he he looks a lot like L.J. Humphrey in just build. You know, he's six four, pretty big dude. He's really athletic. He's a track star. He's an unbelievable basketball player. Like he did like a behind the back 360 dunk at one of Texas's camps this year to win like a basketball dunking competition. He's just a freak athlete. Now at Temple, they don't pass the ball as much as some of the other you know big time programs. They run the ball a lot. Don't have a fantastic quarterback. He's kind of a young guy, so he did catch a touchdown pass. He had a few targets, but you know not something like a Garrett Wilson when you go to Lake Travis and you know he's going to get five or six catches. It's just not that same type of offense, but. He's he's really talented. He, he's super athletic, and he fits the mold of what we're seeing Tom Herman like at wide receiver during his time at Texas. All right, let's uh, go down to I thirty five from Temple. Take a left on uh, two ninety. Head head on out to Maynard. We'll find Princely Amonmulin, a defensive uh, lineman in his twenty twenty class, Texas commit. You talked to him after a recent win over Rouse, where he forced a fumble and helped lead the Mustangs to a victory. Uh, let's t- hear what uh, Princely had to say in your little talk with him. For you and for this football team, how far have y'all come from the beginning of the season now? How important was this one? Uh, I feel like we've come pretty far. Last year, this year, we were 3-3, uh, three and three, but now we're 4-2. and two. Uh, This one was uh, very important for uh, playoff, for, uh, to get into playoffs. So, uh, yeah, now we're 2-0 uh, in oh this year. I feel like we should have done like way, way better, though, because this team is not that good. But uh, we got the dub, so we need to go back to work uh, on Monday. What's it like to create turnovers and kind of just steal some drives from the offense? How important is that? It, felt, it, it was really important because our offense was struggling tonight. So uh, defense, we had to uh, we had to lock in and uh, help them out. Style-wise, we saw you play a little bit on the edge sometimes inside. Kind of how much is versatility an important part? Uh, it's really important. I, I feel like I can play all over the line. Just, yes, yeah, important. Texas, what are you thinking about their defense from what you've seen so far this season? Uh, I like y'all like how they switch it down uh, three man and four man. We've talked about this a little bit, but you you talked a little about maybe like trying to lose some weight, play some knee back. Yeah, yeah. What is your plan or role going to be at, at UT? Uh, probably whatever. Uh, whatever. I guess whatever happens, there happens. If, uh, if they allow me to do it, then I'll do it. And if they don't, then I'll do it. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Texas OU game this week? Uh, I feel like we're going to win 48-26. Oh, we even got a score prediction. Uh, so how excited are you for this team? I mean, playoffs are a possibility for this squad. Kind of how high are the hopes? I'm really excited. I feel like uh, we can win out this season. You know, uh, today was a, a wake-up call for us, though. I feel like uh, we should have done way better. So, yeah, I'm just really excited for uh, what we can do this year. All right, Mike. Um, Princely may not be the best at predicting predicting scores he's a little <laughs> off on his uh, texas iu prediction but he is a really good football player versatile player too where do you think he ends up playing when he gets to texas i think he's a four-eyed to me he he feels like a malcolm roach type player once he gets into a, a college weight and, and conditioning program 
that's going to be tough for him because he he would prefer to play in a four man front. He's talking a little bit about losing some weight and playing B backer, but I just believe his natural body growth and movement. He's going to end up being you know 260, 270 pounds and be a really good three four uh, defensive end down the road for Texas. You just mentioned three four. If you've listened to our Longhorn Confidential podcast this week on Monday, uh, Kirk Bowles is not a fan of the three four, and um, obviously you know some opposing offenses have had success against a Texas team, um, a Texas defense that uses that, that, that defense. But, you know, Kirk isn't a fan of it. I'm sure some defensive coordinators uh, at other schools are, you know, trying to get into recruits, recruits ears about a three, four system. You know, is that a factor on the recruiting trail? Is that a way to hurt Texas with these recruits? It is for defensive ends because the three the three man front is not sexy for a defensive end, right? If you're a four man defensive end, you're on the edge of an offensive tackle, and on passing situations, you get a one on one matchup on the edge. And this system that Texas plays, you're still over the guard tackle, so your 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 job is to basically make take on double teams and let the linebackers and blitzers do the fun stuff and get the stats. And you're kind of an unsung hero. What we're seeing is it pays off at the next level. Like Charles Aminahu went into the NFL completely ready for the game and the style that the Texans play because he played in an odd man front. For guys who are against the odd man front, I would point to the running statistics. It's not like Texas is getting run over. Uh, It's the secondary play, and that has nothing to do with the odd man front. So I feel like it's kind of a bugaboo situation. Texas does play some four-man front. But in recruiting, it hurts because the defensive ends find that outside defensive end position a little bit sexier and more fun to play than, hey, just come take on double teams for three or four years. We are hitting all of Central Texas today. We, were t- we talked about Temple, talked about Maynard. We're going to talk about Cedar Creek now. Uh, another, yeah. another defensive lineman, Alfred Collins. What's kind of the latest on his uh, recruitment? Because I'm sure a lot of Texas fans expect him to be a Longhorn commit. Yeah, I, I still think Texas is really in good shape here. Alfred has been a, a long time, you know proponent of I'm going to take all of my visits I'm going to enjoy this process I only get to do it once before I make a decision and that is still true he's going to take all his his, uh, offers thing I learned pretty recently is he may be announcing at the Army All-American game in San Antonio in January that seems to be kind of his target date now with the early signing period he gets weird because he can sign early the school not announce and him announce you know a few days later at that All-Star game so I would not expect Alfred Collins to pick a school before the early signing period. Very interesting. That's definitely something for people to keep a keep an eye on. Eye on as uh, we head closer to that early signing period and the All Star games. Uh, let's do our recruiting spotlight. Uh, each week, we are going to introduce you to a future Longhorn who won't be playing football at Texas this week. We're shining the spotlight on future Texas baseball player Jared Jones because we like baseball. This is our third street week doing baseball, so a lot of baseball over here. Uh, Jared is a right-handed pitcher and one-time USC commit out of California. He announces a pledge to Texas on Tuesday. So this is a kind of recent breaking news for us. During his junior year at La, Murat, La Morada High School, uh, he was 7-1 with a 0.77 ERA. The year before, 7-2, 0.80 ERA. Not so bad. That's, those are kind of, he's, people are having a tough time getting on base. <laughs> right. this game. Uh, the Whittier Daily News had him as uh, their player of the year this past, uh, this past spring. And during in their write-up on, on Jared, they had a scout tell him that his fastball is, quote, a fastball that you are used to seeing from pitchers that are in AAA ready to go to the majors, end quote. The newspaper reported that Jared hit 99 miles per hour on his fastball in a playoff game. He also throws a pretty decent slider, and he hit over 450 this past spring. 
Uh, will Jones ever make it to Austin? Maybe not. Uh, both Bleacher and Port in my MLB draft have him slated as a first-round pick in their uh, 2020 mock drafts. He joins fellow UT commit and Refurio right-handed pitcher Jared Kelly, another Jared, in the first rounds of those mock drafts. So Texas, when they announced their signing class coming up, they could have two first-round picks who will never end up in burnt orange in that class, which is uh, it's, it's good and it's bad. That there's, there's several p- pros and cons to it cons to that you hope they just get shortchanged and you know kind of just want to re-up their stock in three years or whatever but yeah that's that's the tough part about baseball recruiting is you can almost over recruit there's guys that will never make it to campus but then you don't want to under recruit guy you know and miss out on some of those guys that you know may skip the pros after mm-hmm. they're drafted so i i uh have no I, i'm glad that i do not have to cover baseball recruiting that seems like a tough tough yeah. task so keep your uh, you know keep a lookout for Jared Jones. We'll see if he ends up on campus um, in in uh, a year or so. But we'll know by the end of the draft season next next summer. All right, Mike, let's wrap this up. Uh, where are you going to go this weekend? What's on your What's on your schedule? Thursday, I'm going to go see South Lake Carroll play. One of the uh, untalked people in in this uh, 2020 class as an offensive tackle there. And then I'm going to go Friday. Another offensive lineman on Friday. It's a big offensive line week for me. I'll I'll be at Thursday, South Lake Carroll, and then Friday, Prosper to see Jake Majors. So we're going to do some scouting of, of the big boys this week. Now, let me ask you, when, you, when you're out talking to these um, guys, we obviously know, you know, you know Hayden Connor's a genius. Uh, yes. Um, the, are offensive linemen more talkative than the quarterbacks? I'm sure like the quarterbacks and receivers are used to people hounding them. The offensive linemen kind of overshadowed. When you come up, are they excited, excited to see you coming? There's two types. Right there is the uh, the big scared offensive lineman who is like huge and dominant, and then you put a microphone in his face, and it's like you know like seeing a mouse and an elephant, you know type thing. But then there's the other ones that are like, yes, finally somebody who wants to like ask me questions for the first time in my life. So uh, a lot of times they're pretty personable dudes that have some pretty funny stories and uh, don't give you a lot of the same like manufactured just quotes that quarterbacks you know learn how to give. So. I've I've always said if you want a good story, find an offensive lineman and just talk to them about their life because they're pretty funny dudes. Usually, I mean they're, they're usually kind of big. They have self-deprecating humor. You know, it's just kind of a, a good group. Uh, let's get your thoughts on the Texas uh, Kansas uh, line this week. Twenty-two point line. What are your thoughts? Uh, does Texas cover Kansas? Uh, are you taking Kansas? What what happens with this line? I would pass on this one. I mean, just who knows? Texas is so beat up. It's just like who knows what they're going to do. Kansas, they had you know, they have less miles. They have a new offensive coordinator this week. So who knows what they're going to look like on offense? That twenty two points seems good. You know, Texas should win this game by four touchdowns or however much they want to win it by. Uh, but Puka Williams is really good for Kansas, and it's going to be kind of one of those weird games after the Red River showdown. So I would probably just pass on this one or maybe take Kansas to cover late. All right, it is mailbag time. Um, as we do every at the end of every podcast, uh, answer some questions from you all out there listening. And if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm AS Danny. Mike is at Craven Mike. Uh, shoot us a question in our mentions on Facebook, Bevo Beat. On Instagram, Bevo Beat, um, email, you can find that on the website, and we'll be glad to answer any of your questions. First question comes from Mike Roberson. He asks on Facebook, is Texas recruiting enough quality offensive and defensive linemen? Uh, yes. Right now, I mean, I could argue that Texas has, you know, three of the best four defensive linemen in the state of Texas, if you include Prince Dorba uh, in that. Um, they have a really good offensive line class. 
They already have one in 2021 with Hayden Connor, like we talked about. They're in the lead for guys like Donovan Jackson, Tommy Brockemeyer, who's a five-star dude. So Herb Hand is doing work on the offensive line. Oscar Giles is doing work on the defensive line. He's got to remember that they're still playing with inherited players. These are a lot of guys. They're either young guys, they're old, you know, they're seniors uh, that weren't recruited by Texas. And Oklahoma's a really good team. I, I think this was, you know, in the LSU game, it's not like Texas got dominated offense up front on both sides of the ball. Uh, Oklahoma simply just played better, had a good game plan, and I, I don't think the sky is falling on on this group as much as some some fans do. Uh, Bruce Spurgeon asks on Facebook, if there's a chance that Texas can flip OU commit Jason McClellan, who's a five-star running back from Lido. We talked about um, you know Joshua Eaton maybe going from Texas to Oklahoma. Can Texas turn that trick on a uh, prized Oklahoma recruit? I, I doubt it. I think as soon as Texas took Bajon Robinson, that was that was their guy. It's hard to imagine Texas getting two five-star running backs in this class. I guess it's possible Jace has, has stayed in contact with Texas. He was uh, a big fan of the Longhorns, even as recently as, as this spring when I went to Alito and talked to him uh, and his teammate JoJo Early, uh, who is uh, a slot receiver in next year's class that Texas really likes. So it's not impossible, I'm just not sure Texas uh, really gets there in that fight right now uh, with Jace. Um, Sean Bohm, 33, asked on Instagram about what happens if UT beats OU in the Big 12 title game. Well, you know, first off, Texas would be the Big 12 champs. Um, Texas is not going to squeeze into the national championship picture unless a lot has to go wrong with other teams. So, you know, chances are what that happens is exactly what happened last year. If they beat them in the Big 12 championship, they're probably going to go to the Sugar Bowl or whatever is the best bowl for the Big 12 champion. You know, it could still happen if they get to the Big 12 championship game and lose, much like last year if Oklahoma is still undefeated, which I believe they will be at the end of this year and they're going to the playoff. You know, that, that runner-up spot would get the you know, Big 12's best bowl, which you know I think is the Sugar Bowl again. So I think um, if Texas can keep winning and get to that Big 12 championship game, I think we're going to end up in a similar situation um, to last year, which is fine with me because I just don't want to go to the Alamo Bowl. That's the only thing I don't want to do is go open air press box, baby. I don't care. I don't. I do not like the Alamo Dome. I did, you know, San Antonio is a fine city, but if I'm going to have the company pay for a you know post in, end of the season treat for me. I don't want to be in San Antonio where I can yeah, I can go to San Antonio anytime I want. So that's where I get to go for my post. Uh, season treat for the uh, All-American Bowl down there in San Antonio, so I'll, I'll be there early January. Your postseason treats the UL Championship games, baby. <laughs> yeah. Three days DFW of Jerry DFW is a huge treat for me. Three days of Jerry World. No good food, $8 drink. <laughs> uh, uh, DW Miniar 64 asked on Instagram about UT's potential losses in the future. Um, you know, Texas is not invincible. I mean, Texas can lose to pretty much any team on the schedule. I know you had ba- you moved Baylor up to number two in your power poll that you do on hook'em.com um, each week. I had to, right? I mean, they're undefeated. Like I, they're, unde- t- t- they're undefeated. I, but- I would definitely take Texas in a head-to-head matchup, but in terms of power poll, if records don't matter, then like, what is the power poll? Like, until they lose, they got to be up there. I, I guess, yeah. I, I can see why they're two, but I, I don't buy Baylor. I wouldn't buy Baylor. Oh, no. It changes every week, though. As soon as they lose, they'll be down to four or five. I mean, it's, you yeah. can put Hudson Card in his bad foot out there with like Travis, and I would pick like Travis um, <laughs> over Baylor right now. So, I mean, I don't buy Baylor. I do think um, the Iowa State trip is going to be interesting because Iowa State seems to kind of found something, and that game is going to be in Ames in November. A lot of these kids have not on the Texas team have not played in bad weather, and that could be a very snowy, interesting game with a lot on the line. So, I think that's one to circle. 
And then you just got to go watch out for those like just weird games like TCU in a couple weeks. Um, you know, Texas yeah, Tech has, is getting better. Tech I is mean, getting better. That's going to be a Black Friday game. Um, you know, they may be, you know be contending for you know bowl positioning. So, and they can lose any game, but I think Iowa State's the one I'd be the most concerned with if, I was, if I'm a Texas fan. I mean, the SEC is clearly the best conference when we're talking about the top four or five teams. But if we're going from top to bottom, there's not a conference deeper or more talent. Um, more evenly talented outside of Oklahoma than the Big 12. I mean, Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech, those are all games that Texas, if they don't play well, can lose. Yeah, and Kansas State's a team like Kansas State's better than I think a lot of people thought they were. Not too concerned about Kansas this weekend, but the rest of the season, I mean, Texas doesn't bring their A game or if they're just too banged up and you know, can't you know, replenish that depth? I mean, the Longhorns could be in trouble. But they're not. They're not good enough yet to just waltz through a game. You know, like it, when Mac Brown had it humming, it felt like foregone conclusions. A lot of times, they're just they're just not there yet. Whether that's another recruiting class or two or whatever, they're just they're not a team that can just line up and just crush these teams just at will. Um, at Racer X five nine zero eight, we'll get to your question about jamming receivers next week. I just want to do a little bit more research on that before we. It's break hard. that down. But um, yeah, I think that's going to be it for us. Don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store and the Google Podcast app. We sure do appreciate it. We appreciate you listening. And we uh, thanks for tuning in. The Longhorn Confidential Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. We will see you next week.